look around. It's a dump. Tell you so. I am looking around. And all I see is potential. Potential for what? This place is ready to fall down. All you'd have to do is walk outside and give it a good shove. You're wrong. You are, you know. Oh, I know she doesn't look like much now, but once, once this place was like a palace. Palace. That's why we called her Majestic. Any man, woman, child could buy their ticket, walk right in. Here they'd be. Here we'd be. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Enjoy the show. An inmate come entering a palace like in a dream, like in heaven. Maybe you had worries and problems out there, but once you came through those doors, they didn't matter anymore. And you know why? Chaplin, that's why. And Keaton and Lloyd. Garbo, Gable and Lombard and, and Jimmy Stewart, Jimmy Cagney, Fred and Ginger. They were gods. And they, they lived up there. That was Olympus. Would you remember if I told you how lucky we felt just to be here? To have the privilege of watching them. I mean, this television thing, why would you want to stay home and watch a little box? Because it's convenient, because you don't have to get dressed up, because you can just sit there? I mean, how could you call that entertainment alone in your living room? Where's the other people? Where's the audience? Where's the magic? Welcome to Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb, and this is my co-host, Mike. We wrap another brilliant month of movies, all set 10 years apart. I love it when a good plan comes together. I, I We've got Defending Your Life from 1991. We've got The Majestic from 2001. And then The Descendants from 2011. I, I think all three of these films... They really form a, a, a trilogy that, that I, initially going into it, I, was, I, I really wondered whether it would come together as well as it did. And, I, and despite the fact that my love for the majestic is uh, non-existent, I think it works. <laughs> I think it works beautifully. We are looking at films showcasing paradise, where paradise is no real picnic. You've got all three of these films that feature something that I, I guess we all kind of not aspire to, but we believe is where we want to be. Defending Your Life is a purgatory that gives you a taste of how good heaven can be, and everything is wonderful during the time where you're being ultimately judged. In The Majestic, you're looking at a pure and wholesome time, a locale that's unsullied by, by, by modern cynicism uh, and, and the Sodom and Gomorrah levels of wickedness that is Hollywood. And then in The Descendants, you've got Hawaii, something that I think everybody uh, in, in the landlocked residence, at least in, in the United States, assumes is just full of chill vibes, uh, hanging 10, Mai Tais 
that's not really the case. I so wish this was a visual medium so they could have seen your hanging tin, like <laughs> <laughs> your enthusiasm, but you're also your disdain <laughs> for, for that activity, whatever it may be. I was I was a couple classes away from a theater minor, so just just letting you know, my life could have gone a very different direction. This could have been my actual job. I, I'm thrilled that all three of these films feature, for the lack of a better word, a kind of paradise, don't you? I mean, I had to come in with the, uh, hey, Webb, wouldn't it be cool to own a movie theater uh, for the Majestic just to, God, get you off that movie's back for two seconds. Like, th- think <laughs> about, like, yeah, Hawaii's great and the weather and the beaches and uh, Meryl Streep and quasi-heaven, but the movie theater, Webb, owning and running your own movie theater in the small town. When people cared about going to the movies, where it was event status to, to go, what, what is, I'll see whatever's playing that week, because that's, that's what we do. We go to the movies. Which means it's the best film in this trilogy. Go ahead and say it. <laughs> no, the Majestic is not so much about running a movie theater as it is building a movie theater. And as somebody who actually worked on a construction job for free mm. and, and, and uh, severed a finger, I'm not mm. that into construction jobs. And that's a lot yeah, of what the Majestic is... was terrible and kind of punny but i really think you're reaching just to find fault with that (laughs) idyllic setting for two movie guys to have a classic movie palace that you you bring back to life so it's the it's the best representation of heaven for me and i include you know i I guess (laughs) making out with judy greer over your comatose wife in hawaii is like a close second (laughs) Eating spaghetti with Meryl Streep a third. Um, it's difficult, right? It's difficult to um, to put whatever your version of paradise is and then have your lead characters all have some sort of problem with it without you turning on them quickly. Like, that, that should be the thing where you're like, oh, come on. Um, in that regard... The Descendants probably does it the best. You you mentioned that in the opening monologue from George Clooney, uh, you know, Paradise can go fuck itself. They kind of set the tone a little bit more. Like, hey, this isn't just going to be us frolicking around and loving how rich we are. Certainly not. The closest we get to maybe making that misstep is probably Albert Brooks, because even even in this version of Paradise, his own attorney, who's meant to defend his life, as the title states, seems to have a bit of fun uh, looking at all of his complaints and just shaking his head like, man, this guy just <laughs> can never be made happy. <laughs> so at least it owns that. It owns the predicament of having a lead character finding uh, flaws and things that should be should be flawless. Certainly. And all three of these protagonists, even Jim Carrey's uh, Peter slash Luke, I I think are very fascinating. You've got uh, three guys and they all are going through some kind of an existential crisis. Daniel in Defending Your Life, Albert Brooks's character, very literally, I think, going through an existential crisis. Hit by a bus. (laughs) Right. (laughs) For starters. uh, Yes. He's fighting. For the integrity of his soul? Is that the way? Because ultimately he's trying to get to heaven. Is is that correct? Because he doesn't want to go back to earth. Yeah, he doesn't want to. I, I don't know how you're meant to feel about it as the viewer. Because at least the way 
Rip Torn, his attorney, uh, his Paradise City attorney, or Judgment City, <laughs> presents it as uh, there, there's no shame in going back. Like you, you need a few tries. It's okay. That's that's the norm. Like people, you know, you, you learn, you grow, you mature, uh, all of that. Uh, it's of course Albert Books that sees this as yet again a, an assessment of his many failures in life that he would be that he would be given a second chance. I don't know if you. I just thought about this when I, I mentioned you know him getting hit by a bus. Um, all three of these movies. Uh, also, the reason for the events of the film is some sort of vehicular accident of some sort. Oh. Is the reason <laughs> that was a total, total happenstance because I don't really remember the majestic being like, oh yeah, uh, because he uh, crashes his car over a bridge. That's how Jim Carrey gets amnesia. Um, I did remember with the Descendants, obviously, that George Clooney's wife has an accident doing doing something that I'm sure me and Webb both disapprove of some sort of powerboat speed racing or something like something, uh, very dangerous, but yeah, Albert Brooks is the one that, uh, has the most questions about the, the whys and wherefores, which is strange given the predicament of the other two men, one who can't remember who he is, who actually should have lots of questions. And then George Clooney, who finds out that his wife was having a, an entirely different life than his own, uh, sort of outside of their marriage. Uh, Could you flip any of these roles, Webb? How do, how do you think that changes the movies if you flip the actors? Say say these all came out like our original sort of uh, trilogy and theory kind of selections, and they were all very close together, not a decade apart. Could you switch any of these, and how would that how would that change the dynamic? Say if Jim Carrey was you know in uh, defending your life, would it be a broader comedy? Would it be would it be less psychological if you had Jim Carrey, comedic actor, playing the the dead man going? In? You think so? It depends on which Jim Carrey shows up. If you got Truman show Jim Carrey, I think you might have uh, a, a much more charismatic uh, person in that role. And you might – one of the things as I was listening back to our episode on Defending Your Life was that it's like it's a movie that's almost there. It's almost there, but <laughs> Albert Brooks is holding it back. Jim Carrey could have elevated that role. And pushed it to that next level. I think he really could have. But if, <laughs> but if Ace Ventura shows up, <laughs> then yes, no, then then the movie is being held down, and and you've got a but very think about different the movie. Spaghetti food fight he would have had with Meryl Streep if it was the Ace Ventura one. He'd been shoving <laughs> it in his ass. He would have been <laughs> doing all manner of physical comedy. On the other hand, George Clooney probably can't play that role. Can we perceive of George Clooney as a failure in any regard where he would have to go back and mature and grow? I, I mean, they could tell us that. I just don't know if I'd believe it. I just don't, but I don't see, get it. That's kind of what happens in The Descendants mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. he is a failure in that movie uh, from an, an emotional standpoint. Uh, and going back to the existential crisis, he is absolutely kind of dealing with the fact that his family life is not only crumbling, but it's approaching catastrophic levels of sorrow, and he didn't even know. And his reaction, you know, to it after his wife is in the accident is like, "Ah, I'll throw some more money at it," and he still doesn't get it. Uh, whereas, like Peter, is also has his own little crisis because he is trying to live in uh, the life of this person, Luke, who he may or may not be. And he kind of has to come to 
if these memories are his own and try to discover what kind of a person he is. All of our protagonists are dealing with some really heavy things in these supposed paradise settings. And that's kind of the crux of why this trilogy is so good. Well, I, th I think it's one of the better ones we've had as far as comparing the um, the trials of our, of our lead characters because uh, with Jim Carrey and the Majestic, he doesn't – I don't think he ever truly believes that he is this guy they're talking about because he, he, he doesn't feel it, but he aspires to be. He would like to be. He convinces himself that, like – that would be nice if I if I was that person they're talking about. And I don't think in the sense of like like a stolen valor thing where he he wants to be perceived as some sort of war hero. I think he would like to try in this man's life as like you know a new pair of clothes. And wouldn't it be great if people in this community like you had that connection and people cared about you and they cared about your well being so much when he's coming from. A very jaded, you know, it's an early look at Hollywood, but incredibly jaded. Like the only, you, you complained in the episode about that we don't really get much of his, his life as a screenwriter. And the only one we do is it's a, just a shot of his face as presumably studio executives and producers are like not talking to him, but at or around him about this project that he's going to write for them. And he's clearly over it. He's, he's checked out of his own life. And you have to assume someone that is in the arts, that was a passion and it's a passion that's been completely ripped out of him. It is just a job that he's clocking in and out of. So it's interesting to see him get so close, but also far away from the arts. And that all he's doing is running a place that projects them. He he doesn't have any creative input anymore. And yet, to me, the the rebuilding of that theater is more creatively satisfying to him than what we see as far as being one of the people on the poster. Unfortunately for him, the fact that he gets his name on the poster is also his downfall because it all comes flooding back that he's, he's not this guy. But see, that's that. And that's my biggest problem with the majestic is because it's not your biggest that... problem. Cause you've, you've listed so many. It's like, how can this? <laughs> okay. This is my, maybe, maybe the most consequential. Maybe I, I'm just rephrasing. All right. That's but, fair. It takes that left turn. Turns out that the film is about something completely different than creativity and finding, you know, a, a love of of the arts. It, it's about it's about fighting McCarthyism on some level. And so, no, 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 no. Come on now. He's a guy that's just trying to keep his head above water for something that he no longer really gives that much of a shit about. It's just like, well, I've done it long enough. So I'll do and say whatever they tell me to just so I can hold on to this thing that I'm no longer passionate about, which that makes him a protagonist. You don't really want to root for because it's like, okay, you're going to sacrifice, throw all your morals out, throw other people under the bus for something that you're kind of bored with. And you think it's stupid. You think this is silly what you're doing. Like you don't, he is so removed from being that person in the theater, in that dark room, that shared space with other people that you've gone to school with laughing and crying together or being riveted by the action that you still would ruin other people just to kind of be tangentially involved, just to have your name on the poster as opposed to having genuine emotion to this, you know, this great product that we have. It is content. Unfortunately, now as we're talking, they're mostly squares on a little box, <laughs> but 
Uh, can, can you imagine a modern version of the Majestic where someone's on Netflix and they're like, oh, who's the cast and crew here? And they see their name and they're like, oh my God, I am that guy. <laughs> I, I don't know what the Majestic would be now since it's in the streaming era. Um, that that did seem to bother you. And that, so I did have sort of a prepared question because I knew you listening back to our episodes and the trauma I went through of trying to present this, like here's this underseen gym that's so sweet and nice. And you just repeatedly said, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting point. That scene may not be the thing I hated the most, but it's the thing I hated the <laughs> second most. And here's the thing I hated the third most about the majestic compare it to, um, the descendants, uh, I guess where someone is actively trying, trying to figure out and parse their life. They've lived it but they've not been involved. George Clooney, his wife had this complete other thing. And it's not just the fact that it's unfair. It's that she had far more passion for the future than what he did. His was something that just needed to be tidied up. This whole thing where they're going to, they have to divest uh, this trust in this land is just another thing that he has to do. It's just another check. Like, okay, I got, when I take care of that, when I completely reshape this land that I'm born in, that I've lived in this community, then I can get down to, to family business. And you have Albert Brooks in Defending Your Life, who lived his life, not well, but I guess his purgatory is like, he has too much information. He has all the stuff that Jim Carrey doesn't know about. He's like, here are the hits of all of your fuck ups. <laughs> Let's go back and to the left. Ah, look at that. Look at that time you got bullied as a middle schooler. Look at that time you didn't ask for the raise when you deserved it. And he may... As much as I've uh, poked and prodded at Albert Brooks being our maybe uh, not least interesting, but the lead we would least want to be, he's probably the lead we more often not are as far as like, <laughs> yeah, like if someone did a highlight reel of all my foibles, uh, that would be embarrassing. So in some regard, I guess we aspire to be Clooney, which is someone that, yeah, maybe he was ignorant. But after the fact, he's trying his best to do everything in his power to put things right, whether that be with his daughters, with his wife, who unfortunately he can't have a back and forth conversation with. It depends on how, I guess, you feel spiritually as far as the conversations when she's in that state, if it you know means anything or helps. It certainly helps him. Uh, George Clooney is playing the like leading man version of this scenario. And I will uh, here's what I'll say against the Majestic. I don't think that it's actually a leading man part. I do think that there's probably something, a smaller budget version of this with a character actor may have been better than having Jim Carrey have these sort of big emotions with it. Dare I say it, a Thomas Hayden Church would have killed in this role. I think, <laughs> I think oh, he was sure. fantastic. But that's also probably not Capra-esque. You know, to, I don't know if Thomas Hayden Church was ever getting the Jimmy Stewart <laughs> push, but that's that's a world I'd like to live in. If you want to see a world in which Majestic made even less money, <laughs> you put you put Albert Brooks in that role because <laughs> you know he's going right back to Hollywood at the end of that film. <laughs> I think Albert Brooks would have. Uh, probably focused more on the movies within the, the movies. He would have found some gag that really amused him. And that's, you know, the Bruce Campbell sequence might've been 20 minutes long or, or something of the, to that effect. <laughs> um, it, you know, one common thread though, with all these is it's, it's 
leading men who are trying and failing and then getting their face repeatedly rubbed in all their failures. Even George Clooney is the, the probably the most, you know, the, the one we would aspire to be the most. Uh, he keeps meeting people that repeatedly tell him how he fucked this up. The friends, you know, that, that knew but didn't tell him because they probably agreed that his wife was on the path to be happier without him by leaving the family. The father-in-law, uh, even trying, even when he goes to confront the great Lothario Matthew Lillard, he manages to fuck that up, and he brings this pain to Judy Greer, who's totally unaware, and <laughs> so he continually steps in it in those damn flip-flops. But he somehow just looks so much better doing it than Albert Brooks, and even Jim Carrey. Even though the Majestic is by far the best film in this, these three, I mean, it's not even close. Well, we've talked about the leading men. Let's talk about some of the women that kind of show them their way through these crises that they're having. Uh, you've got Julia, the wonderful Meryl Streep, as we've already discussed. She becomes Daniel's kind of raison d'etre, you know, in the afterlife or in this purgatory because he kind of begins to change and better himself after his life has ended so that he can enjoy... Uh, uh, this um, potential afterlife with this woman who he's fallen in love with. And I really like that. I, um, and again, we do say better himself, like I guess to show less fear and live with a certain amount of like vigor and, and enthusiasm. Um, Peter is a, a weak-willed individual, I think, and he kind of uses uh, um, the character's name is Adele, uh, Lori Holden. Uh, her, her strong convictions... You know, kind of help Peter find a goddamn backbone uh, in in that final act uh, to kind of uh, establish that, no, this is what he wants, as you say. I was going to say, like, again, I guess he gets a backbone to fight McCarthyism, but judging by your defense of it, it's like he finds the strength to finally come to grips with what he wants out of life and what ultimately makes him happy. And then with Matt... In, in The Descendants, you can kind of argue, I guess, Alex and his wife, but Alex's daughter, uh, uh, with that huge truth bomb that his wife was cheating on him, but also the emotional strength that he needs to kind of uh, dealing with the funeral and all of that, and even finding Matthew Lillard, and kind of uh, something that he probably would not have done on his own, but does so because his his daughter has the... Uh, kind of has his back throughout that entire thing. So I think it's very interesting that all of our protagonists need the help of, of a kind of a strong female character to get through the, uh, the the issues that they're having in these films. Did you did you get that glimpse? Or am I am I reaching? No, no, I don't think you're reaching at all. I think in this particular uh, avenue, the Descendants is by far the, the strongest. Um, defending your life. Uh, maybe it's the most important because um, that relationship is the the reason that he's able to move on to the next step um, because he wants to spend more time with Meryl Streep. Like he thinks, you know, he's, he's found his person and he's going to take that leap, which includes, <laughs> I guess, possibly physically harming himself in this purgatory state, like with their weird heavenly bus system. Um, but it is a grand gesture, uh, nevertheless. Uh, I, I do think that it's probably unfair to Laurie Holden, who you, <laughs> you 
I mean, you didn't know. I only recognized her from The Walking Dead. Uh, and apparently, she was on that for like, well, I guess spoiler alert, she was on it for a long time. So I guess that means she, you know, didn't die off early. But she, she is the, you know, I, I think that one is probably treated with more grace than I would expect because you, when she's introduced, the way Jim Carrey plays it, the way they write for the scene to go is. He's like, oh boy, if this is what I have for me, I'm gonna. I don't remember anything, but I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna stick around just, <laughs> just to try for her. Um, but I actually like that. That I like that relationship um, because it's it's difficult for her to play. Um, for that, you know, it'd be difficult for that person to live. Like if she wants to believe, but maybe doesn't really think this is the person. You know, that's that's a weird romance to to play out. The Descendants, though, where you don't have the romantic element, it's the strongest female part because it is the backbone that George Clooney needs. And it's someone that can share equally in his his pain as far as she's losing her mother. And she also, that's the reason she didn't have a relationship at the time of the accident with her mother is because she knew of this affair. So the fact that it's a true sort of two-hander between Clooney and Shailene Woodley I think makes that the strongest uh, relationship as far as from a female perspective. And, and she's also just, she's great. She nominated, right? For this. I think she was nominated in a supporting role for, for this one. Should have been if she wasn't. Ooh, I don't think so. Unfortunately. Now, if I'd said that about Lori Holden, you would have just, you wouldn't have even looked it up. You'd been like, absolutely not. You're, you're pulling my <laughs> leg. Deniston. <laughs> I think they took away one of her Saturn Awards because it was so bad. No, I don't have no idea. <laughs> Saturn Awards. This is a super trilogy. They, I, really lovely. Um, and despite the fact that I didn't react to the Majestic as positively as you do. Um, but the thing is, like, as we as we discuss it and as you defend it, it with with even more vigor, you know, than I like. I, <laughs> you don't back down, sir, and I appreciate that. I feel like I'm still learning quite a bit about the Majestic, and if it wasn't two and a half hours, I probably would <laughs> uh, uh, revisit it. I, uh, I obviously I come at it from the other perspective where I'd seen all three of these. I just really enjoyed watching them as a companion to the, yeah. the next film of the trilogy. I, I enjoyed thinking about them through this lens. So you used to have this habit, and I, I guess you just you know you became such a fan of our show that you stopped, but. It used to be part of it in a wrap-up, like, hey, did this successfully work as a trilogy? And then you just stopped because you're, you're like, well, that's a stupid question. Of course it did. Like, <laughs> we're putting this out the world. I think this is one of our strongest ones as far as thematically because I, I just enjoyed yeah. layering them on top of one another. It, it made each one more enjoyable than the next uh, because I, I knew we had this this theme in our, our back pocket. Whenever I uh, sit down after... Uh, thinking about all the films, re-listening to our episodes. Uh, I always uh, jot down as many notes as I can. And for this one, it just came quick. And it came to write, like, I knew exactly what I wanted to say. And as I jotted them down, it made me think about even more things. I think this is this is definitely one of the best that we've done. And, and I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm, I'm, I love how it comes together because I had only seen one of these three films. And it was, it was The Descendants. I was like, hey, I want to do The Descendants. And you plucked out uh, two films that work so well. I, I absolutely, just wonderful, wonderful trilogy. Um, we're topping ourselves. I feel like we're topping ourselves every month, every year. 
Oh, and uh, and by the way, for all of you who are, who are you know, uh, <laughs> all the OCD people out there, they did reattach my finger, just not that well, but it's <laughs> the, <laughs> the end of that story. You just couldn't leave that uh, hanging there, could you? For the <laughs> No, no, literally. <laughs> I didn't know if you were going to bring it back up because you thought maybe the, uh, the listeners were going to be concerned. Like, oh my God, this whole time, 100 episodes, I've been listening to a man who's only got... <laughs> Four digits on one hand? Like, oh, I can't do that. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> what does he know about movies? <laughs> <laughs>